Two English Majors Walk Into a Bar is created by immature adults for other immature adults. Listen at your own discretion. Welcome to Two English Majors Walk Into a Bar, a literary comedy podcast. I'm Kathleen Brumbach. And I'm Christian Lutz. I would definitely do opium with Oscar Wilde. I would get arrested with Oscar Wilde. <laughs> Worth it. People used to tell me I talked about books too much. And now you drink about books. <laughs> Isn't it time to get lit? Let's get lit. The recording's in progress. I'm drunk. It's a good night. <laughs> we just got started and Kathleen's already drunk. Yes, I, I pre-gamed. I pre-gamed for this episode because Necessary. it is such a special episode. <laughs> this episode is, I'm going to call it the 35th episode. I think so that the that's 35th fair. time. Yeah. Yeah. This it is, is the, officially, yes. The 35th. Um, the 35th. <laughs> the 35th time that we are having the 35th episode. Yes. Um. <laughs> because just like Christian's age. Our episodes don't go in order, apparently, now. Nope. No, this is, this is episode 35, yes. uh, because 35 is the age that I have been and will be for all time, um, yes. and this episode is evergreen in the same way. Exactly. So mm-hmm. for, the, for the people out there, well, well, first, we should say we're two English majors walk into a bar. <laughs> a literary comedy podcast. <laughs> yes, that is who we are. We're here to talk about literature and get drunk. But today specifically, it's finally December, it's December 8th, and we are celebrating Christian's 35th birthday like we always do. Mm -hmm. Every year. Every year. But this time, it's extra special because she's finally 35. (laughs) I am actually, factually, 35 years old this year. (laughs) Yes. Yes. She spent 35 times around the sun, but also, what did I text you the other day when we were trying to figure out what to do for this episode i don't even remember it was honestly. it was something and then i was like oh well i could do picture of dorian gray which is what i'm doing today and then i was like or we could do like the book of genesis you know like the lord created <laughs> the heavens and the earth and christian was already there because she's 35 <laughs> i was, was 35. already 35 when that she was already 35 um yeah so i tried to like you know my my obsession with ai i tried to create some 35 like throughout history um, yes. they were horrific and hilarious all at the same time <laughs> so oh we'll no play with those <laughs> I, I wanted christian to like edit herself into the like the jfk assassination where like she was there i did do some of that i did my face is in some of those things now um yes. <laughs> you will as see it, it on our be. social media as it should be <laughs> yes oh my gosh i okay i pre-gamed and i'm already feeling it in christian's honor i got a malbec it's called Alhambra or Alhambra. I can't read. We're starting You're out drunk. so strong. <laughs> <laughs> what words will we not pronounce today? Oh, oh, it's I. Okay. So I had time to actually pregame today. I know I'm usually like rushing home from work and like trying to eat sushi because that's the tradition that I have is I always eat sushi right before we record. I'm usually trying to like shove sushi in my mouth but no today I actually got to eat the sushi and like digest it properly <laughs> and what <laughs> and I'm I'm almost two glasses in I'm on my second drink as well and I did not eat dinner I'm eating dinner after we record so we'll see how quickly this takes hold <laughs> yeah we'll see we'll see how how 35 year old Christian 
I can't handle it like 25 year old Christian. No, Crazy. no. 25 year old Christian. Uh, I, I may or may not have known 25 year old Christian because uh, I've always thought you were 35. It's much more entertaining. I'm good with it. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Picture of Dorian Gray. That's what I'm doing today. Drinking game. <laughs> Drinking game is drink every time Kathleen references the fact that she loves Sybil because she really wants to play her in the film version of like I we're due for an updated film version of this. I'm sure there's some type of like cheap BBC version out there that's been made recently, but like fuck that. I want to be in a cheap film version of this. <laughs> so just every- to do one and hire you. Yes. There, I want to play Sybil. Whoever's out there listening in casting, reach out to my 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 agent, please. I'm I'm available anytime. <laughs> yes. Particularly for this role. I'm already drinking to that. Yeah. All right. I think that's fair. We we just got we gotta get into it. Oh my goodness. I swear to God, I've been practicing. It's not as long as Anna Karenina. It's really just a picture of a guy. <laughs> I think you can do it. I have faith in you. I, I have faith in me too. All right. Let's dig in. I'm so drunk. All right. So Oscar Wilde, he's Irish. He's wow. We, we always forget, but he is. He's Irish. And he wrote Picture of Dorian Gray. It's a philosophical novel. Wikipedia really wants us to know that it's a philosophical novel. They even have it hyperlinked. They're like, what is a philosophical novel? Oh, it philosophical fiction refers to the class of work of fiction, <laughs> which I just love how you were like, oh, they even have it hyperlinked. And then you clearly just clicked on the hyperlink and just read it for the first time. <laughs> yes. Yes. It doesn't even make sense. Definitely would have gotten an A first on this to the class of works of fiction, which devote a significant portion of their content to the sort of questions normally addressed in. Fl- well, no shit, Sherlock. Okay. <laughs> so it's philosophical. There was a novella version. It was published in a magazine. Cause like, remember everybody back in like the 1890s. We're in 1891 right now with Oscar Wilde. Back in the 1890s. I was 35. Christian was 35. (laughs) Yes, she was 35 when this novel was written. And this is called Lippincott's Monthly Magazine. And all of like the the novels that we've come to know and love, they were published in magazines in like serial form. Mm -hmm. Just like how you watch on like Netflix and everything. But you had to wait a week or a month. Yeah, it's monthly. You had to wait a month. It took a lot longer. Yeah. Yeah. You had to wait a month to read the next part of the story. And that's what happened. I would have saved them all up and read them all at once because I am an impatient person. So I wouldn't start the story without knowing I could read the next chapter. People didn't know how to binge back then. I guess that's true. They had really slow lives. They had nothing else to do. That's true. And there's some excitement that comes with like a weekly episode, monthly episode. (laughs) That's true. That's true. They had to wait a whole freaking month to find Mm -hmm. out what happened to this Dorian Gray guy. So Oscar Wilde, he's going to write this novel. He's inspired. I read where he was like inspired by uh, not Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, but Sir Arthur Conan Doyle knew like the publisher of this magazine as well. So it's interesting to me to think of Sherlock Holmes and like Picture of Dorian Gray, like being in the same magazine together. Mm. So I don't know that I I found that. Um, Can you imagine reading those things, like reading as they came out, like reading Dorian Gray for the first time and knowing nothing about it. It's like such a standard. And like, yeah, I just can't imagine like the first time where you're just blown away by the conclusion. Like, (laughs) Yes. And like the 1890, well, I would say 1850s to like turn of the century. 
so mm-hmm. much amazing literature coming out and like yeah. just being there while it's happening. Can you imagine reading the Christmas Carol and seeing the way that that like changed the world? Like I just all of these things in that era that were just so cool. Yeah. But we have to be honest with ourselves. We would have not read them. <laughs> we would have been drunk. I mean, there wasn't a Wikipedia at the time. So if we wanted to seem smart, we would have had to or we would have had someone read them to us. I think we would have read like the first page. We <laughs> would have gotten there. We would have gotten really excited about it extrapolated from there like you said and we would have went to the bar after reading the first page and told everybody what we think of it (laughs) without reading any of it without reading any of it which is what we do here on this podcast i mean there are plenty of salons i think that would have been great we would have fit right in oh my god i would have done so well at a salon or salon i don't know and not like a hairdresser but like you know it's like a yeah yeah i (laughs) Yeah, I would have done so well. Oh my god, that I would that would have been my vibe. Yeah. So for people who don't know, it was like basically a party where you came and you discussed literature, art, philosophy. More or less, you could come in and spout your opinion while drinking and eating with people that you knew, and it was a very popular way to spend your time. It's what people did before Twitter. Yeah, they just came in and bitched about things. The good old days. But who was there in the good old days? Oscar Wilde. He was there. He was at all of the salons. Probably. He was living living his best life. That's why no one thinks he's from Ireland. I know. He was I, at all always, the salons. I always forget. They had to have had like great parties in Ireland. He probably had like a great time there and also in England. But yeah, I always forget that he's from Ireland. And okay, so he wrote three different versions of this novel. There was an 1890 novella version. And I think that's what was published in the magazine, the Lippincott magazine. And then there's an 1891 version. And that was edited by this guy named Stoddart. Not sure why. Not sure what Stoddart, like, not sure what his opinion was about. Didn't read that part of the Wikipedia page. It didn't seem important. And then let's see. What else have we got? Oh, then there's a 2011 version that is the uncensored novella. And it says in the Wikipedia page, it's the original typescript submitted to Lippincott's monthly magazine housed at UCLA. It had been largely forgotten outside of professional wild scholars until 2011. And they like published it all. And it includes all of the like fantastic homoerotic, like cool, cool shit that we've always thought like Dorian Gray was. But then mm. it says, um, it says, For instance, in one scene, Basil Hallward confesses to have worshipped Dorian Gray with a romance of feeling and that he had never loved a woman. So now we've got like a queer icon. Which is amazing. Finally, in 2011. I have to drink my wine. Uh, So then there was a a preface. Yes, wine break. There was a preface, which was super, um, I don't know. It was like Oscar Wilde at his best. The preface became really famous almost as famous as the novella itself and he basically talked about like uh taoism or taoism and how like it was a lot about like the artist and the artist's place in society and how oscar wilde felt that he wrote an essay called the artist as critic or wait no did he write that Oh, Wikipedia, making me read while I'm drunk. Okay. Before writing the preface, Wilde had written a book review of Herbert Guile's translation of the work of Zhang Zhao. And in the essay, 
Oh, yes, he did write it. Okay. He wrote the artist as critic. I was like questioning everything I knew right there. And he affirms the artist's place in society and that art can be created for art's sake. And that's what Dorian Gray is. And finally, we can get into the summary (laughs) (laughs) of what happens in this book. This isn't that long of a book. It shouldn't take that long. No, it shouldn't. But it does because it's me. All right, let's get into it. So we're in Victorian England. Everybody's hot. It doesn't say that on the Wikipedia page. I added that. (laughs) <laughs> Everybody's really hot. Everybody's beautiful. Lord Henry Watton says he's a very opinionated man. <laughs> As if there's any of them that aren't. <laughs> facts, facts. So he said, although I, I am happy here to see uh, like a very opinionated man being called, like specifically called out for being opinionated rather than like Joe March was an opinionated young woman. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, glad to see that here in Wikipedia. He observes the sensitive artist Basil Howard painting the portrait of Dorian Gray, a young man who is Basil. And I'm saying Basil instead of Basil because I know it's not Basil. Please. I know that like Basil is actually a name and it's not Basil. But every time I hear the word Basil, I think of um, Basil. Great Mouse Detective. Oh, So, yes. you know, important distinctions to make. It's not Basil, it's Basil. It's and you Basil. have to say, well, like, Basil, you have to be excited because that's how the little girl in Great Master Detective says it. So, yes, I was 35 the first time I watched that movie. Exactly. <laughs> Christian was always 35. Forever. And so, yes, I guess I can throw on my 30 second summary here because okay. I totally forgot to do it at the top. <laughs> uh, 30 second summary here is this Basil guy makes a painting of Dorian Gray. The painting ages. Dorian does not. It ends badly for everyone. That's what happens in this novel. And so uh, Dorian is Basil's muse. He's painting a picture of Dorian and Dorian listens to Lord Henry. Wait, who the fuck is Lord Henry? (laughs) I don't know. You're the one telling this story. (laughs) So we've got Basil. We've got Lord Henry. Lord Henry is the hedonist guy. And then we've got Dorian Gray, who's hot. And so, wait, no, they're all, I mean, I assume they're all hot. I'm assuming, like, these are, like, some, like, beautiful motherfuckers in this room. And Dorian Gray is being painted. But then Lord Henry, who's apparently just there vibing with them, I don't know, he is, he's telling everybody about how he, like, he's a fuckboy. He likes to fuck around. He sleeps with everybody. and, And he thinks that people should live that way. And he begins to think that beauty is the only aspect of life worth pursuing, prompting Dorian to wish that his portrait would age instead of himself. Now we have kind of like a Faustian contract situation that's going to be set up here. Uh, Is he going to sell his soul to the devil to stay young and beautiful forever? We don't know. Of course. (laughs) That's exactly what Christian did. She can tell you the details Mm -hmm. of the contract. You would choose the same thing. The easy contract. Yeah. All right. I had to drink my wine. Um, I so, love the announcement every time you take a sip. <laughs> always. We, we've reached that point of the drunkenness. Mm-hmm. So Lord Henry is influencing Dorian in like a, I don't know, is it a negative way? Is it like a, he's just helping Dorian kind of like come into his own kind of way? We don't really know. But Dorian is like finding himself, exploring his sensuality, like it says in the Wikipedia page. He goes and sees a play. This girl named Sybil. Yeah. This girl named Sybil Vane is an actress in the play. And right here, Kathleen wants to play Sybil. 
Everybody drinks. First introduction, just to be clear. Just to be clear, this is the character. For all the casting directors out there, this is the character. Her name is Sybil Vane. Oscar Wilde was not being subtle here. Mm-hmm. V-A-N-E. Her last name is Vane. She's in a play, but this is like not... It it's just says it's a Shakespeare play. I thought it was Hamlet and she was playing Ophelia, but I could be wrong. Uh, I don't remember in the book. But uh, Dorian... I feel like that's her, right. Yeah, because like he compares her in the end, right? To Ophelia? So. Yeah. She's in a Shakespeare play and it's in like a dingy working class theater. This already feels very Kathleen. Kathleen is like completely equipped to play this role already. Okay. Dorian wants to marry her. She calls him her Prince Charming member because he's hot. And of course. <laughs> yes. What else would you call him? Yeah. She has a protective. Uh, her brother was her younger brother, James. Okay. And he like warns her about Dorian. And so he I don't know what that's. Yeah. He doesn't like him. And he's like, if he ever like hurts you, I'll murder him. And she's like, that's right. crazy. I just want to be an actor. Could everybody please leave me alone? And then Dorian invites Basil and Lord Henry to see Sybil perform. That is the cutest thing ever. If my new boyfriend was like, everybody come see Kathleen in a show. That would be great. That's that's husband material right there. <laughs> so I get it. I get her. Uh, she is enamored with Dorian. Although it says... She performs poorly because she's too obsessed with it. That would him. be so sad if you were so excited that you just like bombed. Yeah. Yeah. So poor Sybil. Honestly, this whole novel is about Sybil. Yeah. It's all poor Sybil. Yeah. Like everybody's kind of like, what do you see in this girl? Like, obviously, she's just beautiful and she's not talented. So Henry and Basil are like, Dorian, bro, like she is not talented. This is embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> And so Dorian rejects Sybil, telling her that acting, like it says, telling her that acting is her beauty. Without that, she no longer interests him. Yeah. So he's like, you're not really a good actor. You're just hot. And I'm hot. And like, we both can't be hot. We both can't just be hot. Like one (laughs) of us has to be good at something. And so he breaks up with her. It's very sad. He returns home and he notices that the portrait has changed so now we've got like a supernatural element of everything and he realizes that his wish has come true and every time he is cruel to someone like he was to Sybil his painting changes so Christian we need to find where the painting of you is yeah I lost that a long time ago so we don't know how my soul's soul's decaying (laughs) people wonder why I'm nice I'm so nice but I think it's really just because I'm afraid that that painting is rotting somewhere yeah Um, yeah and I've never had an attic so it can't be there (laughs) yeah I don't even I mean I've always pictured the painting in Dorian Gray being in the attic but does it actually is it actually in the attic Oh, I have no idea. I've always pictured it there, but I feel like it's just like in some room in his house because people stumble across it. And I feel like you would never stumble across it if it was in the attic. Yeah. What the fuck are they doing up in his attic? Yeah. No, I probably just forgot mine at one of the apartments I lived in in college. Like I moved around a lot. So Christian left it in like a (laughs) a storage unit somewhere. Yeah. No, I never had a storage unit either. So I don't know. It's in somebody's storage unit somewhere. (laughs) Somewhere Christian. There's a real ugly painting of Christian while she remains hot and beautiful for all the rest of us to see. Man, it's too bad I couldn't have like fixed my jaw, you know, like could it the painting have taken that part so I wouldn't need surgery? You know, well, I think I mean, according, okay, according to like the physics in Dorian Gray, 
if you're mean to people more, then you will, but maybe I guess he just stays hot. Yeah. He just stays hot and his painting gets more gross. Yeah. So man, oh boy, I knew I would definitely be meaner to people. (laughs) (laughs) That's a real conundrum. Like (laughs) it doesn't seem to be working currently. (laughs) Oh, I mean, honestly, what I'm disappointed in in this novel is that there's no like official scene where he like makes a deal with the devil. Like is Lord Henry the devil? Maybe. Is he the devil? I don't know. Maybe it'll tell us if we keep reading, Lizzie. That's true. <laughs> it says, okay, so he feels bad. He tries to make up with Sybil, but she uh, trigger warning for um, suicide, suicidal ideation. Sybil has died by suicide. So now no, Kathleen yeah. will never play her. Well, but I have to play her up until that point. Like I have That's a true. strong, yeah, I have a strong <laughs> role in like the first third of the minis. I'm making it a mini series now. It's not even a film. It's a mini series. So I can <laughs> get stepped more. up. Yeah. So I can get more episodes in. So yeah. So tragically, she has died by suicide. He's very sad. And he knows that like his life is like headed downhill and lust and beauty will not suffice. Mm. So he locks the portrait up. In his attic. Eight- yeah. Okay. This is probably where it goes up to the attic. He locks it up for 18 years. And this whole time he is living like this very hedonistic lifestyle. He's out there, you know, like drinking, smoking. I assume he's doing coke and opium. And probably it's the time, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It was opium was having a moment at this time. Out of all the the drugs, we've talked about this. I would do opium with Oscar Wilde. I think that's literally in our intro. I know. (laughs) I think it is. I think it is. I I can't do drugs because I I'm too mentally ill as it is. <laughs> so I've, I've never been... I've to I've never tried opium. But if I had the opportunity to do opium with Oscar Wilde, yes, yes, please, I would fully I would support that decision. I appreciate that. I would I would support you microdosing opium. Okay. Um. So yeah, microdose that... opium. I don't actually know. I don't. Yeah, I think you could microdose anything if you wanted. Uh, and so that's what, that's what Dorian Gray and Lord Henry are doing. It it says Lord Henry gives Dorian Gray a morally poisonous French novel that inspires him to like do all these like heinous things. And it's like, I want to know what all the heinous things are. Like, is he just visiting sex workers? Like, what is he doing? And like, (laughs) also, you know, like thinking of this novel in context, you know, what, what is really being discussed here? You know, at this time in history, it is illegal. And uh, as we know from examining Oscar Wilde's life, it is punishable by jail time uh, to Mm -hmm. be gay in in this culture. And so, well, not in that culture, but specifically in many parts of the world, but also um, in Ireland and England. And so what are we referencing here? You know, are we are we just referencing him, you know, having sex with men? You know, and that's what's like the morally reprehensible, quote, morally reprehensible things that he's doing at this time. Or is he like out there kicking puppies, which is actually a bad thing, (laughs) not just having (laughs) sex with other men. So it's not sex. It's kicking puppies. And that's where we definitely draw. That's where we draw the line. If Dorian is out there kicking a puppy, then he deserves to have that ugly picture of him posted all over Instagram. But if he's Mm -hmm. just out there like having sex with people, yeah, then it's like okay, well, your portrait doesn't like deserve to be ugly for that. I feel like I always imagined it was worse, but then who knows? I don't know. I mean, 
I would honestly love to be able to drink without the consequences of a headache in the morning and being bloated. <laughs> if it I could would be have, wonderful. Yeah. If I could have a painting that could be bloated and like have a headache for me, that would be, that would be perfect. Yeah. So anyone out there who knows how to make that Faustian contract for me, please email <laughs> us to English majors, walk into a bar gmail.com. We are willing to sell our souls. I mean, mine's already gone, but Kathleen's is up for grabs. Mine is up for grabs. I will sell it for a Klondike bar. Like somebody get in touch with me. Now that's a little extreme. (laughs) They're not that good. They're not. So back to the story. One night before leaving Paris, so now they're in France. Yay for them. Basil goes to Dorian's house to ask him about the rumors of his self-indulgent sensualism. So like, girl, like, what are you doing? (laughs) Like, so it sounds like he's just having good sex. Yes, like that's, he's yeah. just out there having good sex. And so Dorian, he does not deny the debauchery. And he takes Basil to see the portrait. He's like, girl, let me show you. This is what I've been doing. I get to stay hot. And this Instagram picture of me just gets uglier and uglier. And so <laughs> uh, Basil's horrified. And he's going to, like, he, he tells Dorian, like, pray for salvation that's what you should do right now and then dorian is Mm. like ew no and it says dorian blames his fate on basil because basil was the one who made the painting and kills him he kills him that's gonna help that's for sure gonna help this painting go better yeah he's like oh someone died the blood of this guy is gonna (laughs) purify your image i want out of my faustian contract kill the painter kill the artist and so Dorian blackmails his old friend, scientist Alan Campbell. So now we've got another person in here. And it says, into using his knowledge of chemistry to destroy Basil's body. Alan later, uh, another trigger warning. (laughs) Alan. He's a man after your own heart. I'm just going to say. What? Being able to dissolve the body with his knowledge of chemistry. Yeah. That's like like... breaking bad. (laughs) Like, Don't pretend you don't know how to do it. Just saying. Me? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Because I learned from Breaking Bad, you have to get a plastic tub. Yeah. You can't use the ceramics. Yeah. You can't use the ceramic one. You have to get like a plastic vat. And uh, See, this is Jeffrey Dahmer style. You got to like, you got to get a, a plastic container and put the body. I don't actually know the chemicals though. Even if I did know the chemicals, I should not tell everyone on our podcast <laughs> drunkenly how to dissolve a dead body. Probably. But yeah, so now, like, okay, Dorian Gray is an asshole. He killed his friend Basil. We liked Basil because he reminded us of the herbs. And now Dorian Gray is, like, he's just, like, an absolute, not anti-hero. I don't even think he's an anti-hero anymore. He's just a villain in this story. And so he's like, oh, no, I need to escape my crime. So that now this is where he does go to an opium den. Unbeknownst to him, I love a good unbeknownst to moment. I love when things are unbeknownst. Unbeknownst to him, guess who he runs into at the opium den? Not Sybil. Not Sybil, but her brother, <laughs> James. Yeah, yeah. James, what are you doing? Yeah, James Vane is seeking vengeance. Because remember, it, he said, like, if anybody hurt Sybil, he would kill them. But Sybil tragically died by suicide, and now he is out to kill Dorian Gray. Yeah, because Dorian is definitely the culprit. And so, he's a dick. Yeah, he is a dick at this point. First, he was just hot. Now he's a dick. <laughs> Christian. 
<laughs> oh my God. <laughs> We've just reached the Kathleen has intrusive thoughts moment in the podcast <laughs> of like, what if it was a picture of a dick? Like, what if he was so much of a dick that like the picture of his face slowly was just, just started, a dick? Was <laughs> it just like decayed into dick formation? Just um. turns into a dick pic. <laughs> That's the Dorian Gray I want to see. That's yes, that's gonna go in my mini series. For some reason, I'm imagining this like the. You know, have you ever seen like Thumb Tannic or Bat Thumb or any of those? I feel like the Thumb movies could do a version of this where it just slowly the Thumb version of Dorian Gray just turns into a dick. I yeah. feel like that would totally suit their comedy style. Yeah, for those Thumb people out there, you need to do it. Hell yeah, <laughs> get on that shit. Okay, so James. Uh, Vane, Sybil's brother, he's seeking vengeance on Dorian ever since Sybil died by suicide, but he had no leads. It says, uh, oh my God, I can't read. I'm so drunk. Dorian, ever <laughs> since Sybil killed herself, but had no leads to pursue as the only thing he knew about Dorian was the nickname that Sybil called him. So he only knows that he was called the Charming Prince. He accosts Dorian Gray. Oh. I assume this is at the opium den. And Dorian deceives James into believing he is too young to have been with Sybil. He's like, no, I mean, no, I wasn't the guy that she was with. I'm obviously way obviously too young I'm a hot. child. Yeah. 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 And so James is like, okay. And uh, he releases Dorian, but is then approached by a woman from the opium den who approaches James for not killing Dorian. She confirms Dorian's identity and explains oh, that he had not aged in 18 years. Creepy. So then James tries to catch up with him and Dorian runs away. So now like people are starting to talk about how he has not aged a single day in 18 years. And 30 years from now, people are going to be saying that about Christian. I hope so. I hope they notice. What is going on with her? She doesn't look stay over 35. And she's been 35 (laughs) since like. It makes no sense. The dawn of time. So now James is stalking Dorian. This is termed very unhealthy. Now we're fully downloaded into like the true crime part of this. Um, So Dorian starts to fear for his life. During a shooting party, a hunter accidentally kills James, who was lurking in a thicket. Not that we all yeah, that happened in the great. If you've ever seen the great, they accidentally. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah! I love that show. Poor James, <laughs> he gets shot while he's lurking in a thicket. Uh, probably he just had to pee. I don't know. Or he was spying. Maybe he was trying to kill Dorian. Maybe that's true. And so lots of potential there. Yeah. It says, returning to London, Dorian tells Lord Henry that he will live righteously from now. He's like, oh, I'm going to like be on the straight and narrow now. And his new priority begins with deliberately not breaking the heart of the naive Hetty Merton, his current romantic interest. So now we've got another girl Hedy. that is just like replacing Sybil. We're going like to write such a weird name. Just saying. Hetty. <laughs> Hetty. I know it's like an yeah. old name, but. It makes me think of Hattie. But honestly, we're going to write this part out of the miniseries because I don't want her getting in my way of an Emmy. So I think that's fair. We'll go ahead and write her out. So also drink. <laughs> yes. Also drink. It says Dorian wonders if his newly found. Oh, wait, no. It's <laughs> <laughs> Kathleen's drunk. <laughs> Goodness. Like, I'm going to be good from now on. He finally had a bad hangover and he was like, I'm never drinking again. <laughs> 
newly Never found again. goodness has rescinded the corruption in the picture. But when he looks at it, the picture is even uglier. Because he's not actually good. He's just doing it for his own benefit. Right. But like, has he tried just not looking at the picture? Like, that seems like that would be the obvious solution. To I feel like, yeah, I would just stop looking at the, the picture. But maybe it's like, kind mm. of like a... Maybe it's kind of like a don't look at social media solution. It's like, well, eventually you have to look at social media, you know, and like you're going to just see... to know what people liked. Yeah. So, yeah. But I mean, he obviously has not thought about not looking at the picture. He keeps looking at it. <laughs> it says from that Dorian understands that his true motives for the self-sacrifice of moral reformation were the vanity and curiosity of his quest for new experiences, along with the desire to restore beauty to the picture. So he's just trying to make his picture look good again. He just wants it to look pretty. Yeah, they didn't have filters. They didn't have filters. So like... Honestly, I think a really good solution if you just wanted the picture to look pretty is to just like not sell your soul in the first place. And then the picture would have stayed pretty. Or maybe you shouldn't have killed the painter who painted the picture in the first place mm-hmm. and he could have done a touch-up for you, maybe. I mean, really, that would have been a really good option. It's basically like a filter. Yeah, there were but you many, murdered him and now there are no touch-ups. Many options here. Dorian did not think of any of them. Mm-mm. I think Dorian's Jeez, problem Dorian. is not that he's that he's vain. I think it's that he's dumb. I think I think we've solved the, the riddle I here. I agree. He he's a hot dummy. Very bright. He's yeah. a hot dummy. Yeah. Just like your puppy. I know, just like Dexter. (laughs) Yep. So uh, let's see. Deciding that only full confession will absolve him of his wrongdoing, Dorian decides to destroy the last vestige of his conscience and the only piece of evidence remaining of his crimes, the portrait. So he's like, I got to destroy it. um, Yeah, yeah. this thing is like ruining my life. In his rage, he takes out a knife. It's the same knife that he murdered. I can't talk. I'm drunk. The same knife that he murdered (laughs) Basil with, and he stabs the picture. His servants, like everybody in the house, wakes up from hearing a cry from a locked room. Okay, so he keeps it in a locked room. Okay, so it's not an attic. It's just like, I think there's like some movie version. Maybe it was Wishbone. Who knows? (laughs) Probably. it was in the attic. Probably. Somebody told us it was in the attic because both of us imagined that. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. Had to be in the attic. Can't just be in our heads. So they call the police because they hear this cry from a locked room and- uh, it says the servants find an unknown old man stabbed in the heart, his figure withered and decrepit. The servants identify the disfigured corpse as Dorian only by the rings on his fingers, which the portrait beside him is beautiful. Oh, wait, no, it says while the portrait beside him is beautiful again. So the Ooh. portrait is beautiful and like looks like him when he was young and then he's an old man and he's there and he's dead. He's all dead and shriveled. Yes. I guess he got what he wanted. I guess he did. <laughs> I guess he did. He got to be young and hot until the day that he died slash stabbed himself in the painting and then yeah. they swapped places. But so he got so mad about having to look at his ugly self that he stabbed it and then... He should have just not looked at the picture. That would have solved most of his problems. It would have solved everything. Honestly, okay, so to all those people out there, if you are Dorian Gray, you just lose your portrait. Yeah, (laughs) that's what Christian did. Yeah, and I never have to worry about that. I'm not going to accidentally, not accidentally, I'm not going to intentionally stab myself. Yeah, that portrait will be out there forever, getting uglier Mm -hmm. and uglier, and Christian And I will never need to know. Yeah, Christian won't even know. I'll just remain 35. Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, what I, is- I like to think my portrait's not that ugly. I haven't done that many bad things in my life. No, no, you haven't. You know, so maybe I've never killed is, anyone. It's just aging. It, well, to yeah, our knowledge, yeah. Christian has never killed anyone. <laughs> I like you said to our knowledge. <laughs> plausible deniability. Plausible deniability. Always. Always plausible deniability. <laughs> yes. That's good. That's important. We don't know of any of Christian's victims yet. Mm-mm. Nor will you. <laughs> but no, Christian, if, okay, I actually, I do have a, a pop quiz question, but okay, it has I'm, to be prefaced here for with an open-ended question. Okay. So the open-ended question is, if you were not aging at all, and you knew this, <laughs> like, say, let's say 18 years in, I mean, you're not, okay. you're not, but Obviously. if you notice like 18 years from now that you're not aging at all, what do you do? I don't know. So like, here's the thing, 18 years, people are noticing. And okay. So I'm reading this book that I decided not to cover tonight because I didn't want to ruin it for myself. Um, it's called how to stop time. And it's about a guy who's literally not aging. And he like gets to a point in his life where he discovers he's not aging. Great book. I didn't cover it because I like the book and I don't want to know how it ends until after I'm finished with it. I'm gonna but anyways, <laughs> you do that. Don't ruin it for me. No spoilers. I won't, I won't ruin um, it for you. But anyways, so great book. Anyway, so he discovers that he's not aging. And there's a point that these different characters discover they're not aging and they have to leave because there are people who realize they're not aging. At some point, society's going to catch up with you and be like, what the fuck? And even though we don't believe in like witchcraft and things like that anymore, uh, to an extent, I feel like you would still be studied by science if you were like known to not be aging. So would I try to disappear? Would I just go live off the grid somewhere and then pop back up and use a different name? Like, I feel like I would. If I were 18 years, then people would definitely know I'm not aging. I'd probably already be a target. And then I would just try to disappear. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like for me, it would be like, I don't think any of my friends and family would rat me out. Like they would notice and they would ask. And then I would. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, like random people in the like public sphere. I don't think my family would rat me out. Yeah, but like, are the like public people, they don't know you well enough to like report you. Who are they going to report it to? That's true. Who's going to believe them? That's true. So, like, you never know though. I feel like the real problem would come in when like the social security office decides that you should be dead. Yeah. I feel like you'd have to just pretend to die. Right. You would have to, like, once you got to the 105 year mark, you have to fake your own death. Yeah, you'd have to be dead. And you'd have to stay off the radar up right. until that point because otherwise people are going to notice that you're not aging. Right. And you would have to like come up with a different social security number to get like a different job. Or would you just pretend to be an immigrant from another country? Maybe. Like I feel like that would be the easiest Ooh. way in the modern world to illegally immigrate somewhere and just be legal and get, you know. That's true. Because otherwise like, Everything is tracked. Everyone is tracked. But if you're illegal in a country, then you're not tracked and you can eventually apply for asylum. Now, that takes a lot of work to do those things. Obviously, like there's a lot of complications there. But I feel like that's probably where I would go. I would just be an illegal immigrant or I would live in a cult. (laughs) Join a cult. I feel like you could start a cult. You could be I could a cult start a cult. Didn't age because like eventually the people would really catch on to the fact that you don't age and then you could be like, yeah. "Oh my god, I am I, god." Yeah, I'm a god and also I use this snail oil on my face and you should buy so much of this snail oil from me. And that solves and the who job needs problem. a social security number because I got all these people giving me their money. Yeah. There you go. See, we problem out everything. solved. 
just okay if dorian had just, <laughs> the answer is usually a cult yeah if dorian had just not looked at the picture and then started a cult and he started a cult none of this would have happened mm-hmm. i feel like oscar wilde would have he would have been smart enough to figure it out but i also think he's such a badass for writing this ending where we see like the dead body of the old man and yeah, yeah i just think that's like i love a twist ending I, I love a plot twist, and I think that that's one of, like, the greatest plot twists of all time. And then, It is pretty great. Yes. My final uh, pop quiz that I came up with, like, officially for the pop quiz is what does Sybil, my favorite character, what does she call <laughs> Dorian Gray, her lover? I can't remember. Oh, my goodness. I don't remember. It's, like, okay. straight down my brain. It's, like, the tip of my tongue. I'll leave breadcrumbs for you. What okay, play? You. <laughs> what play do we think that she's performing when they meet? Hamlet. Okay, Hamlet is the blank of Denmark. Oh, it's her prince. Her yes. prince charming. Prince yeah. charming. See, okay. you got there it. We you go. got it. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. See, that's how you do it as an English. Yeah. That's how you do it. You have open book quizzes <laughs> with <laughs> fill in the blanks. Yes, with fill in the blank where you like lead each other with breadcrumbs to the answers. Yep. That's the only way it's done. Yes. Oscar Wilde is a badass. That's the end of my story. Beautiful. Yes. Hell yeah. We did it. Yay. I almost turned 36. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) It almost took me 35 (laughs) years to get through it. But we did it. We did picture of Dorian Gray. For all the people out there who are like people who study queer theory through Oscar Wilde's work, please at us on social media and tell us about like if you've read this novel and and you know, like I know there's tons of of queer theory written about this. And if you know about any of that, please message us on on social media. We will actually read that. Yeah, we will actually read that. We do. We are very interested in that and think it's super freaking cool. So yes, please do that. And as I'm scrolling down the Wikipedia page, I just have to throw one more thing in that Angela Lansbury (laughs) played Sybil in a film adaptation of Picture of Dorian Gray in 1945. And if anyone is out there casting this mini series that I came up with right now, please cast me in honor. And if you're not, then you can cast her in the future mini series that you're going to come up with now. Actually, I want to see a modern day retelling of this where it's- it's somebody, it's like a 30 second, um, one of those like micro short films where somebody notices that their Instagram pictures keep getting older mm. and they keep trying to retouch them with like filters and everything. Yeah. And then, <laughs> but then they notice that like the more like shitty things they do and the shittier of a person they become, their Instagram pictures and their selfies just keep getting uglier and uglier. Feel like there's a Netflix series out there for this. Like, you know, Probably. like there's Probably one a that Black exists that, Yeah, something like that. It has to exist. Oh, yeah. Well, that's that's my shtick. Are we Beautiful. ready for our break? And then we'll come back and I think we'll so. Have... Yes. And then we've got some more like queer fantasies coming up for you guys. This and it wasn't cool. even intentional. It just happened that way. It wasn't. Sometimes, sometimes you're just you're feeling the universe just works out. Yeah. 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 And we're back. We are. Yes. We, we've been chatting for a while about about ghosts. random. Yeah. Ghosts. Ghosts. Who, who's got ghosts? And then I think Christian is going to be bringing us some vampires. Yes. All right. So we're going to 
jump into interview with a vampire. Interview with a vampire. Who else grew up in the 90s? (laughs) Okay, so I have to admit that I have like a love for Anne Rice that is unreasonable because she's chaos in a person and I love it. Tell me Um, all about it, girl. Okay, so nothing, well, actually everything to do with this book and nothing to do with the Wikipedia page because I have not read the Wikipedia page yet. So, (laughs) but Anne Rice went through a whole religious experience writing the Vampire Chronicles. So she goes from, she's, Anne Rice is super Catholic, right? So she's starting to write these books. She's very religious. She's very like, very much believes in God. So she's writing Interview with a Vampire, which is the first book in the Vampire Chronicles. And she is uber Catholic, like very religious. Oh, and like I you did can not see know that. this. Yeah, you can see this in the, the writing that she does. So at some point during writing the Vampire Chronicles, her daughter gets cancer and her daughter is no. going to die. So Anne Rice goes from being a religious person to being atheist. And I'm going to say atheist and quotations because I don't think Anne Rice has ever actually been an atheist. I think she thinks she was, but I don't think you can be an atheist and still think God's out to get you because then you obviously believe in God. You just don't like him much. So Anne Rice is religious and then not religious and then religious and then not religious. Like she flip-flops back and forth between being very faithful and then very angry at God. And it's interesting to see because there's like this scene it's not in this book it's in one of the other books where she's less religious so this one she's super religious there's a big overtones of religion in this book and yes. then later there's a vampire who dies and their soul goes up and this vampire thinks she's going to be like sucked up to heaven and then she hits the atmosphere and dissolves. like it's like psych there is no afterlife like no heaven <laughs> should have made that really contract when you could yeah exactly um she didn't have a portrait anywhere but so it's like she gets very intense and like very religious and then anti-religious and it's just it's well done because she's a great writer so whatever turmoil she's going through comes out in her writing so yes yes okay. and Yet another, I mean, I'm sure most of our listeners are are familiar like I am with the um, somewhat problematic now, I think, because it's like two straight men playing like kind of like queer icon characters. Mm-hmm. But the the like very Tom well. Hanks. Not yeah, Tom Hanks. Oh, my God. Uh, Tom, Tom Cruise. Cruise. Yes. Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt yeah. uh, playing Lestat. And what's the other guy's name? I don't know. We'll find out. Oh, <laughs> Louis. And, I think it's yeah, Louis. 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 That's what it is. That's what it is. Yeah. And I think most of our audience is probably familiar with that. But like, we also have to kind of like wrap our brains around a little bit that Anne Rice is a straight woman. Yeah. And this was 1976. Um, and yeah. also, there has been a new adaptation that is a, I think, a mini series. I haven't seen it. I watched oh. a TikTok about it. Yes, it came yes, out like last yes. year. Yeah, I really do want to watch it. Um, I, I want to watch it as well. It exists, but that seems super interesting. And all the characters in that, I believe, not all, but the, like the majority of the characters are black. Um, yes. So yes. that that should be interesting. But okay, so trying to remember exactly. Hang on a second. I got to figure out how it ends. Um, <laughs> Yet again, continuing our uh, tradition of not reading the Wikipedia page, not reading the source yeah. material. Just being vaguely familiar with maybe a film adaptation or two. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I have read this. I just, it's been a while. Okay, so there's a vampire who tells a story to a person interviewing him. And 
he he tells his life story and then he bites the kid and the kid wants to be a vampire too. The kid meaning the interviewer. Yeah. So that's was it Edward Norton? Who played the person interviewing? Was it Edward Norton? I don't think I don't remember if they actually had the interviewer in the movie. Honestly, I don't yeah, remember that. Yeah, they they did. I don't remember. I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. Um yeah, so it's it's very interesting. Okay, so it's a gothic horror vampire novel by Anne Rice. It was her debut novel. It's based on a short story that she wrote in 1968, and it centers around the Louis Dupont, Dupont de Lac. These are That's good French words to try to say when you're drunk. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, he tells a story of his life to a reporter. So she, okay, her daughter had died. She composed the novel shortly and Rice's after daughter the death died? Yeah, of her daughter, <gasps> Michelle, who served as the inspiration for the child vampire Claudia, which we were all obsessed That's with. That's the one that and, I wanted to yeah. play. Casting directors, if you're out there, Kathleen wanted to play that one. Yeah, and Kathleen still looks 10, so you could still do it. <laughs> I, I do not. I do not. I'm I'm slowly approaching 35 myself. Yeah. So I just think this this is her going, this series is Anne Rice going through her mourning of her daughter. So I couldn't remember if her daughter died or not, oh, but it's like, wow. you can see the different, pieces of her mourning and her being angry with God and being sad, you know, happy and all of those things. Okay. So Louis Dupont du Lac tells the story of his 200 year long life to a reporter simply referred to as the boy. So it's played this young reporter. Christian Slater. And I figured it out. Christian Slater oh, played the reporter. I don't yes, remember. In the movie. Um, okay. So then he like, it just, you know, jumps into his life in the movie and in the book. Um, so Louis is, in, 19, in 1791, he starts telling his story. He's an indigo plantation owner living in Louisiana. Um, his brother dies and he's absolutely distraught and he attempts to kill himself. He like, again, suicide is a theme tonight too. Yeah. Trigger warning, I guess. Gosh. Sorry, um, guys. Yeah. So he is approached by a vampire named Lestat de Lioncourt. Lioncourt? I don't know. Lioncourt. Just the lion court. If, you know, um, if you're drunk yeah. enough, it sounds exactly the lion court. Yes. <laughs> if you're drunk, it sounds French enough. Yeah. Perfect slurs. Um, <laughs> he really wants Louise company. So for sexy time. I don't know. Also, just aside, every time I say Louis and Louis, I always get them messed up. It might be Louis. I think it's Louis. Louis? Okay. Yeah. I don't know why I, that's always such a problem with me. My brain just like because this is short circuits. It, it starts in <laughs> France, right? It's it starts. No, it starts actually, in New Orleans. Oh, it starts in New Orleans. I thought mm-hmm. it started They're in French, France. but this is like when the French were living in New yeah, Orleans. In so New Orleans. okay, yeah. Um. Okay. So anyway, so he he wants to Lestat wants Louis's company, and. He turns Louis into a vampire, and they become immortal companions. Lestat spends his time feeding on the slaves, while Louis, who finds that morally repugnant, he finds murder morally repugnant, he feeds off of animals. Um, They're forced to leave when Louis' slaves begin to fear the vampires and instigate an uprising. So there's a lot of, like, if I remember right, in the books, they, like, really, there's a lot going into, like, the religious beliefs of the slaves, that right. they realize well, we, they're vampires. We should, also, we should also clarify, like, enslaved people of the American South, you know, yeah. like, that these characters yeah. are treating, like, quote, slaves. And I'm sure in Anne Rice's novel, they are referred to as slaves. But these are enslaved people 
who, yeah. you know, are, are being brutalized in the American South that are in. And I think that it's important too, to novel. think about the like the condition of New Orleans at the time, because it's not only enslaved peoples, but this is, there's a huge Haitian population yes. and a Creole population. So like you think of the culture of New Orleans and what it grew out of, it grew like the culture that exists now in New Orleans started in the 1790s with the slaves that they had there. Like that culture is grounded in the black peoples who were enslaved and their traditions. Yes. So a lot of that is coming into this. There's a lot of exoticism that plays into this novel. It was the late seventies. Like there's a lot of that playing. A right. Part, because obviously a very exciting book to read, but it's a lot of exoticism. Yeah. Well, and we also have to kind of like put into context for a modern lens, you know, like a, a white straight woman Mm-hmm. writing about I, is it fair to call them gay men i don't think that their sexuality is ever that explicit okay but they clearly do have a relationship right um and the the, the relationships that they build that are meaningful there are very few that revolve around women so i would right. i mean they're a queer icon for a reason right um, right right while it's not explicit it's pretty clear that they're building a life together they get a child pretty much you exactly know? Like, exactly so but yeah. we'll get into that because that's a little sketchy anyway about how that happens and the, like the ethics that go into it it's really about let's stop making a decision at the beginning that louis really didn't have a part of right like he, no consent yeah. there whatsoever and if you like in the book like it, it says it like oh they magically they just decided to make louis a vampire no it was forced on him he had no choice yeah. he did not know what was happening he was killed and then brought back um, before he had any decision. And then he was like, well, fuck, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to stay. So anyway, so Louis sets his own plantation on fire. He and Lestat kill the slaves to keep the word from spreading about the vampires in Louisiana because they're so afraid to be found out. They kill all these people because one, they don't value them. And two, they believe that that's the only way to keep themselves safe. Oh my um, God, this book is way worse than I remember. Yeah, <laughs> it's way more intense than you think. Well, and it's it's so, mu- so much of the um, victimization and the, so much of the, um, I, I don't I know, I, I'm too drunk to find It starts with the victimization of- Enslaved the, people. The enslaved peoples, yeah. yeah. So it does, but it, it goes from there. Like the building, it the story builds in a way that there is some ethical dilemma- here about especially with louis about what he needs to do as a vampire and the value of human life so he has a lot of conflict there which you get into later and the like the comparison of vampire lives versus human lives which is really a comparison of the wealthy versus the poor and there's a whole socioeconomic thing yeah also a racial discussion of the value of white lives versus Mm -hmm. value of black lives yeah and i'm gonna say if y'all want to hear more about that you should read octavia butler because she does much better at uh yes <laughs> but yes. but okay so he sets his plantation on fire gradually it says he louis bends under lestat's influence and begins feeding from human um he eventually is like well i guess i have to do this and he has some moral struggles and then he comes to terms with the fact that this is now his nature but he also is like increasingly repulsed by what he perceives as Lestat's lack of compassion for the human that he preys on. Because Lestat kind of plays with his food. He tortures people before he eats them. And Louis is like, you really, really should not do that. So they escaped to New Orleans. Oh, wait, were they, where were they at? Okay, they were in Louisiana. They weren't in New Orleans. Okay. They were in Louisiana. So they go so to the city. To New Orleans, to the city. And they feed off plague-ridden 
people. So Louis feeds off a plague-ridden five-year-old girl who he finds next to the corpse of her mother. He thinks, he starts thinking about leaving Lestat and going his own way. And then fearing that, Lestat decides to turn the child into a vampire daughter for them both. So he thinks that this is going to give Louis a reason to stay. So he has a child in order to trap the partner. (laughs) Have a baby Um, to save the marriage. Yeah, that's what he tries to do. Always turns Um, out well. So Louis was like, oh, well, this girl's not going freaking anywhere. So I'm going to just eat her. And then, you know, all's all's well that ends well. Um, So he uh, he tries to and then um, they give her the name Claudia because she doesn't know what her name is after she's turned into a vampire. After Lestat turns Claudia into vampire, the baby vampire we all wanted to be. Um, Yes, I wanted to be Kirsten Dunst in the movie so bad. She just did it so well. She did. Oh, my God. She knocked it out of the park. And she was like, what, 12? Yeah, but she looked like she looked so young. And one thing I didn't like in the new version that I saw, the girl who plays Claudia is like 14. So she's clearly like a young lady. Like she's not a, a child. And the whole thing is like she's supposed to be a baby vampire. Like that's right. like half of the but it's thing. So, the movie is so problematic because there's hmm. there's a part for where so she, many reasons yeah for so many reasons but also there's a part where she just like kisses Brad Pitt on the lips yeah well because there's a whole bit in the book about her struggling with her own sexuality because she has right. the mentality of a woman in the body of a five year old right so she's um, just like Christian she is aging but yeah. she forever looks much younger like a child at least I'm 35 and not five yeah you know? at least you're 35 <laughs> 35 is an appropriate age for pretty much all activities i can even rent a car exactly exactly it's 35 it's the perfect age for christian to be frozen at as a vampire that she is okay so louis horrified that lestat turned a child into a vampire but stays it works and takes care of claudia Oh, um, Claudia really likes to kill. And um, <laughs> this is why I wanted to play Claudia. Yeah. <laughs> Not because, because I wanted to baby. kiss Brad Pitt at all. And that's deeply problematic. But yeah, <laughs> this is why I wanted to play Claudia. But she's just a baby. So of course she like latches on to whatever they're doing and she gets super excited about it. Like she's having a blast. So she starts killing people um, and then realizes, oh shit, I can't grow up. She becomes a very intelligent, assertive woman in the body of a five-year-old. Yeah. Um, so Claudia gets really mad. She's very angry. She blames Lestat for her state. And after 60 years of living with him, hatches a plot to kill Lestat by poisoning him and cutting his throat. Claudia, so she convinces Louis to do this. She's like, he fucked me up. He still treats me like I'm a baby. Like I'm 60 years old and he's treating me like I'm a little girl. Like I can't do this anymore. You know, let's kill him. So Louis's like, sure, whatever. <laughs> he's a very um, moldable man. <laughs> apparently for louis um, like- he has a lot of inner conflict yeah but he just, he's kind of just does whatever people tell him he's been in like a several hundred year long uh abusive relationship yeah and it's gotten to him obviously yeah, yeah um, the toxicity of all the relationships in this novel is mm-hmm. tangible it really is yeah okay so it gets better <laughs> because they do what Claudia wants. They cut his throat, they poison him, you know, all of those things. And then they dump his body into a swamp. And then they prepare to flee to Europe. But then Louis or Lassad appears, having um, recovered from the attack. This and he attacks is the part, them. This do you remember Ta-da! this part in the movie? 
No, I didn't really watch the movie. Oh, I mean, I did like, but like a long time ago and only passively. Girl, girl, it's so like, it's just so cringe because like the makeup and special effects are not. (laughs) I remember him being like really dirty. Yeah. And he looks like, like his skin has kind of been burned in a way. Mm. It looks really, really bad. But I thought it was like a, a really long time between him coming back and them trying to leave. But it sounds like it was just like the same day. I don't know. Well, either way, he comes back and he attacks them. And, yeah, and there's a huge fight scene. Yeah. So big fight scene. Louis sets fire to their home. He really likes fires. And he Louis barely escapes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's a little bit of a pyromaniac. Um, <laughs> so they... Oh, this is probably why they should have burned. He barely escapes with Claudia and they leave Lestat furious in the house to be consumed by flames. Oh, maybe. Yeah, this is yeah. where his skin gets fucked up. But the, see, I remember the part in the movie where he shows up like playing the piano and it's very mm-hmm. much like a Celine Dion like music video <laughs> kind of scene where there's like there's like cur- like floor length <laughs> curtains that are wafting in the wind and then like one of the curtains blows up and yeah. then it reveals um, Celine Dion. that was my horrible Celine Dion impression I laughed so hard I started coughing (laughs) oh my god yes the vampire Celine Dion just shows up (laughs) (laughs) we always knew she looked young forever Um, yes Okay, so they arrive in Europe and they decide they're going to seek out more vampires. Um, they know nothing about the other vampires at this point. Lestat has told them nothing. They don't know anything about vampire culture. They just know that there are more out there. And, and they, they know that Google there's it. there. Uh-huh. So they travel throughout Europe and do encounter other vampires. And the vampires appear to be nothing more than mindless animated corpses. What? So in Vampire Chron- Chronicles, there are like levels of vampires. So they're like the people who are really self-aware and whatever. And then they're just like the zombie. They did not sign up for their premium um, subscription. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. That's what happens. I can't, I can't remember. I feel like they find out why they're mindless at some point from the character that's about to come up next, Armand. But I, I don't really remember. They reach Paris and they encounter vampires like themselves, meeting a 400-year-old vampire named Armand and his cover coven, the Theater, Theatre des Vampires. So theater of vampires, and I said that terribly in French, but no, I loved it. I loved every second. Thank you. (laughs) Never change. (laughs) Drunken accents for the win. Yes. Um, It's so much better than I could do right now. I'm so drunk. (laughs) Happy to um, entertain. (laughs) Anyway, so Armand and his coven are inhabiting an ancient theater, and they disguise themselves as humans, and then they feed on terrified actual humans in mock plays before a live audience who think that the killings are just a very realistic performance this so it's is all sorts of fucked up this is um, what kathleen would be doing if she was a vampire this is <laughs> yeah this is the type of production value you can expect from kathleen when she's a vampire someday <laughs> i would say far away i would be dragging um, you into it too like no. i would be the lestat and you would be the louis and i would be like oh my god christian this is gonna be such a great idea for a live show <laughs> <laughs> and i'd be like i don't want to do this and you're gonna like, eat lock this you person. Um. <laughs> come to our live shows everyone we do human sacrifice mm-hmm. 
just like yeah. Armand. Yeah. Um, so Claudia is actually very repulsed by this. She considers it to be cheap theatrics. And even though she still enjoys playing with her food, she thinks this is disgusting. Um, well, and Louis, she can get down off her high horse. Yeah, for real. Okay. Um, Louis and Armand are like drawn to each other. So again, he's a very, like, there's no explicit, if I remember right. I think that there's like some flirting and there's some impression that there could be a relationship but I don't remember anything beyond implications, but everybody's jealous too. So it's like, like very complicated. Yeah. I and feel also, like I feel Rice like is Claudia really, was in love with him. Yeah. I feel like Anne Rice is really a master of writing sexual tension. Yeah, I agree. Like a ton of unresolved sexual tension between characters. Yeah. And I have see, to say one, one thing I think they're not going to get into here is the graveyard. So like the graveyard scene, how they find that. I mean, they haven't gotten into it. But the, the graveyard scene, how they find Armand is so cool in this book. But I can't remember exactly what happens. I just know it's through a graveyard, the most famous graveyard in Paris. And they're like, they go oh, through it. Oh, the find... super haunted one. Yeah. Yes. So that's, yeah. So they, there's a whole thing, but it's really cool. If you ever read the book, like that's one of my favorite pieces of the book. It's so cool. Okay. So Claudia is repulsed. Louis and Armand are, there's a lot of sexual tension there. But as there Claudia, yeah, Claudia is really she's convinced that Louis is going to leave her. So she convinces him to turn to a Parisian doll maker, Madeline, into a vampire to serve as a replacement companion for her. So she's like, fine, you stay, whatever. Screw you. I want her. So so she's bi. I guess. But I don't know if it's more like a love or the fact that they adopted her when she was five. This is the only yeah. person she has ever known yeah. that cared about her. Like the a other- platonic, yeah. Yeah. So is this like a fatherly thing or whatever? There's like some weird, creepy shit in the movie, but I don't remember. The yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, so- the creepy shit in the movie is like she has like a, a, a baby a very face. Yeah. A very strong sexual t- like Kirsten Dunst who very problematically was like 12 years old yeah. and Brad Pitt, who was like in his twenties, maybe 20s yeah, or 30s. Something like that. And, and they are like a, a romantic coupling for a mm-hmm. hot second in the movie. And it's like, Oh, yikes! And like the whole creepiness of that. I understand that that's like, it's very problematic because she was an actual child. Right. But like right. the whole idea of this book is that like, that's what they're going for. She was not perpetually 35. She was perpetually five. You're right. Right. Yeah. And I think that's probably why they aged up the character to make it a little less disturbing, which I don't think also this is a whole thing. I know that they're trying to make the cast more diverse and that this is supposed to be a child vampire, but aging her up to the age of like 14 and still making it all of this tension, which I haven't watched the show. So I don't know that's a fact, but I feel like it, it lends itself to the current exoticism of young women of color. Yeah, um, young people of color are often exoticized. Instead, they look more mature than they are. Um, right, right. There's a whole culture around that that's just disgusting, and I feel like that probably bleeds into the casting in that show. Yeah, um, because it is still exceptionally problematic. She is still a child, but I don't know the actress. I don't know if the actress is actually a child, but in this case, she was like a child. She was very right, young. right. Um, but yeah. So anyway, so they they live together for a while. Louis, and Madeline, and Claudia. And then Armand gets jealous and abducts them. Oh, my God. Um, so the coven abducts the three of them. And they there's a whole 
thing that happens. The graveyard's involved too there. Everybody's so, hanging out in the graveyard. It's, it's really cool, like, actually. Mary Shelley like, vibes. Yeah. So they have like an underground tunnel they have to go through to get to like in the graveyard where there are vampires. And that's where they meet a bunch that are like mindless zombies. But Armand ends up being like woven into that. And then there's also like his theater. So anyway, so Lestat arrives. But um Oh um, God. He's like a bad penny. Well he's, he's, he's a vampire. coming back. Um, he doesn't die. What else is he supposed to do? Um, so he uh, he arrives from New Orleans, having survived the fire, and he accuses Louis and Claudia of something. <laughs> of trying to kill him. I guess trying to kill him. It says his accusations against Louis and Claudia result in Louis being locked in a coffin to starve, while Claudia and Madeline are locked in an open courtyard. So if oh, because of the sun. Sun. So open courtyard. So eventually they will die. So um, Armand who has a hots for Louis arrives and releases Louis from the co- coffin. But Madeline and Claudia are burned to death by the rising sun. Oh, and no. Louis is absolutely devastated and he finds their ashen remains. So Yikes. poor Louis, I feel like there's a whole, so much. During this. Yeah. There's a whole complicated thing. I think we'll get to it. We'll see. Louis returns to the theater late that following night, burning to the ground and killing all the vampires inside leaving with Armand. Together, the two travel across Europe for several years, but Louis never fully recovers from Claudia's death, and the emotional connection between himself and Armand quickly dissolves. So my understanding in the book was that Armand actually had a hand in Claudia and Madeline's death. Oh, because he had to get rid of Claudia. Yeah, so that he didn't stop it. He didn't instigate it. Lestat instigated it, but his coven didn't stop it. Armand didn't stop it. He allowed it to happen. So the decay that happens in their relationship, he leaves with the saw or with the saw, with Louis and allows him to kill the entire cup and he burns the whole place to the ground. But he never really felt guilty about it. So Louis ends up, you know, being somewhat he, aware. And that's how you know that Armand was never truly a theater kid because a theater kid would have chosen their like bullshit hometown community theater <laughs> over any hot guy <laughs> any day of the week yeah yep he's a fake okay so he um gets tired of the old world and then returns to new orleans in the 20th century living as a loner and he feeds off humans who cross his path but he always lives in the shadow and he never creates another companion for himself oh um so yeah, so he spends a lot of time alone. Like he lives in this like decaying house and things like that, if I remember right. And then he tells the boy of one last encounter he had with Lestat in New Orleans. And then he ends his tale. After 200 years, he's tired of being immortal and the pain and suffering which he's had to bear witness. So he's like, fuck this. But the boy that's interviewing him only sees the great power that he has as a vampire. And he begs to be made into a vampire himself. And then he's angry and then Louis angry that the interviewer learned nothing from his story. He's like, and, you did not absorb any of this. This yeah, is like all like, of our professors in college. <laughs> you got nothing from this class. So he gets pissed. He attacks the boy and then vanishes without a trace. And then the boy decides he's going to track down Lestat. And oh then get him to give him immortality because all he wants is to be a vampire. And the book ends. And then there are three more books in the series, so... You mean we don't get like an amazing scene at the end of the book, like in the film? Honestly, this is where the film got it right. Like the, I think the film ends with like Tom Cruise as Lestat. Like I think he kills Christian Slater in his convertible, and then he's like driving over the bridge in like California, and uh, yeah. sympathy for the devil is playing. So, in future yeah. books, 
um, Lestat ends up being a celebrity. He does. I think he does those things. And the idea is that he goes to Hollywood and he becomes a musician. <laughs> um, so it's kind a of musician. Weird. Oh my God. Yeah. I think that it is that ending is trying to lead into the next book. And then you end up having this disjointed movie thing that happens because you get interview with a vampire and then you get the queen of the damned, which is the third book in the series. Oh. Um, but you don't have the full story and it's not connected to the characters. I think because it was so problematic that they had a child in the movie and then there were other issues with it. They were like, you know, it just wasn't a great movie. Honestly, it's okay. But like, no, I remember it being very popular. Yeah, like, I guess among popular teenage enough to girls. a sequel, though. Yeah, because they were yeah. hot. Like, but yeah, there's a whole thing. But um, yeah. So that's the end of the book. There's some background and things we can go through. But like, okay, so my quiz. Yes, I forgot to do a drinking game. I always forget the drinking games. We're always but, drunk by the time we get to your drinking no, games. No, you know, it's fine. We're already um, drunk. I've got my last sip of wine. Yeah, I finished my beer. We Apparently, we didn't need the drinking game. Anyway, what was the boy's name that interviewed Louis? Louis. I just remember that it's Christian Slater and that he's called the boy. Is it Thomas? No, Thomas trick question. He didn't have a name. He's just the boy. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, You've thought about that for a while. I know. I was like, why do, Why am I being drawn to the name Thomas right now? <laughs> Maybe he had a name in the movie. I don't know. So uh, I guess like Anne Rice had a bunch of rejections and developed OCD after writing this. Um, it says after completing the novel and the following and following many rejections from publisher, Anne Rice developed OCD. She became obsessed with germs, thinking about or thinking that she contaminated everything she touched, engaged in frequent and obsessive hand washing. I feel like this is just like judgmental oh boy. of Anne Rice. Poor um, Anne Rice. She had a lot of trauma. She lost her daughter. Yeah. Nice. So she wrote the book Interview with a Vampire in May 1976. And then she traveled and it got mixed reviews at first, but like it's hip, people called it hypnotically poetic in tone and rich in sensory imagery. And then to pretend that it has any purpose beyond suckling eroticism is a rank <laughs> hypocrisy. So like very different approaches to this book. <laughs> I um, love that. And I think there's nothing wrong with that, honestly. No, um, <laughs> that's what Oscar Wilde and like, yeah. uh, I forget what it was called, like art for art's sake or something like that, that Oscar yeah. Wilde was talking about how like things can just be um, beautiful or admirable or mm -hmm. artistic just for the sake of, you know, entertainment and art and uh, yeah. personal exploration. And Anne Rice with these books, and this isn't really, I, well, I'm not reading that far into the, I don't think it's in the, no, it's not. Okay. It's not in the Wikipedia page. But if you look at vampire novels now, it was Dracula and then yeah. it was Vampire Chronicles. Those are the yeah. big ones that influence the way that vampire stories are written today. So Twilight, um, True Blood, all of those things, Anne Rice and then Bram Stoker set the foundation for those things. First, Bram Stoker, obviously. And right, then Anne Rice, much, right. much later, set the foundation for what vampire novels look like and the rules that they follow. The fact that you don't create child vampires. That right. is an Anne Rice invention. There is no mention of not creating child vampires prior to this. Yeah. Like, and I feel like Claudia's story is in the, the 90s, thing. vampires were having a fucking moment. Like, yeah. what was it? Like, Blade? Yeah, was that a vampire movie, and like, and all uh, of those were born out of this story. Yeah, she Buffy the finished, Vampire Slayer. Yeah, so she finished her last book in 1988, I think. 
the queen of the damned so there's vampire chronicles it's i've read all of them except for the i don't think i finished queen of the damned anyway there's interview with a vampire the new tales of the vampires the vampire lestat oh oh, no sorry it was a spinoff series the new tales of the vampire was a spinoff series so there's vampire lestat queen of the damned and i think that there's one more there is one more i have the collection but anyway her stories the way that she wrote them she finished them right before vampires became big again and a lot of the rules set were rules set by Anne Rice yes in her vampire world yeah oh yeah it's great that's so cool is she still alive I think so let's find out yes we should I'm I'm sure she's listening right now if she is alive oh no she died in 2021 god damn it so she's not listening unless she's a ghost or she's 35 like Christian she looks older than 35 in her Wikipedia picture. Well, obviously, she did not have some guy named Basil make a painting of her. I'm I'm reading her Wikipedia page, and there's something that was very interesting. Anne Rice was born Howard Allen Francis O'Brien. Huh. Yeah. She hated her first name so much that she changed it to Anne in the first grade. Her first name was Howard? Her first name was Howard. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. You know what I think Wikipedia needs to add if Wikipedia is listening? Just thinking about Wikipedia. Her name is Howard. Where are you um, at, girl? <laughs> <laughs> well, they need to add pronouns. Yes, they need to. Like, add pro- why because- is that not a thing? Right, like- right. Obviously, Howard, a traditionally male name, but names do or not Christian, have gender. You know. Yeah. Okay. So I guess during her time writing Interview with a Vampire or Vampire Chronicles, she converted to Catholicism. So she was atheist, converted to Catholicism, but then she flip-flopped back and forth. She was never an atheist. You can't not believe in God and then suddenly go Catholic and then be angry and then go Catholic again. Like that's just not how, you know, but she ended up writing only exclusively Christian themed novels. Interesting. Jeez, Howard. (laughs) God damn it, Howard. That. that like threw me off. I didn't know her first name was Howard. Is it also like H-O-W-A-R-D? Yeah. Howard Allen Francis O'Brien. Interesting. Yeah. Like, was her husband's name Rice or did she just change her last name to personal life? Let's look. So Rice returned to the Catholic Church in 1998 after a decade of atheism. She fell into a coma and later determined the cause to be diabetic ketosidosis ketoacidosis yeah yeah that's what (laughs) for some reason i know how to pronounce diabetic ketoacidosis but nothing french from this book (laughs) so funny interesting you know who i always confuse with ann rice is ann rule who wrote the ted bundy book (laughs) and a bunch of other true crime novels I'm very disappointed by Anne Rice's Wikipedia. It skips a lot of her life. Um, it's just like, and in this point, they moved back to New Orleans. Okay, who's her husband? Yeah, Wikipedia. Girl, if you're listening. Get on it. First yeah. with the pronouns. That's more important. Yes. And then yes. fix Anne, Wright's bi- Anne Rice's biography. And make sure Kathleen pronouns. knows the difference. Yes. <laughs> That's important. To, like, there needs to be a hyperlinked section of like, you have reached Anne Rice's biography on wikipedia if you're looking for ann rule it is not here. the same person that is not the same person yeah. as ann rice you need to go here and have it hyperlinked <laughs> but what did they hyperlink for oscar wilde's novel they were like philosophical novel like we know what a philosophical novel is so not novel, everyone knows that yeah. is philosophical so Mm-mm-mm. i'm so drunk that's what Thank i would read on my papers oh my god yes <laughs> 
philosophical novel is a novel that is philosophical. I'm so drunk. <laughs> well, no, that's literally what they did. A philosophical novel is a novel that concerns itself with philosophy. Well, yes. Thank you, Wikipedia. Never would have guessed that. Oh, my goodness. I I am at the point of wine drunk where I have wine mouth all in like the inner circle of my mouth because Mel Beck is so it's such a bold it's Christian's favorite wine. It is. It is. And so I drink it a lot because I'm like, this is Christian's favorite. This is going to be good. But Kathleen's a white wine person. I am I, very much a red wine person. Yeah. I, I mean, I love I love a um uh, a Cab Sauv. Cab Sauv used to be my go-to. Mm-hmm. If you remember, Christian, Cab Sauv was like, I drank I think so much. the person who got me like turned on to red wines, actually. Yeah. 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 But then I don't know, somewhere, somewhere during the pandemic, I switched to like a Pinot Grigio. I became mm-hmm. a Pinot Grigio bitch. Yeah. And then, and now I'm, you know, I'm getting back into red wines because it's winter and a Melbeck is just so, it's so robust. It is. And I love it. It needs time to breathe though. This it one does. It absolutely one. needs time to yeah. breathe. Yeah. It needs time to breathe. It needs, but it gives me wine mouth. It does. So I can, I can only you know drink it. Funny? I just like, I mean, it's not that I never get wine mouth. I do, but I don't know if it's like the way my mouth shaped or something, but like it's usually inside my lips. So you can't really see the wine mouth. I have really thin lips though. <laughs> Mine is on like the inside of my lips and like slowly making its way to the outside of my lips. I also I am hyper obsessed with being moisturized. So I wonder if your problem is that you just, your lips are chapped. So it's like, dry. They're dry. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't. Well, no, I, before we started, I put on my uh, Laneige. Uh, girl, by the way, you can be a uh, sponsor for our <laughs> Laneige. Our we would love you to sponsor. Laneige, either Laneige or Aquaphor. I use those uh, equally to like prevent wine mouth and to prevent my lips from being dry. But they don't feel particularly dry because I have been moisturizing them. But yeah, they're, I, I've got strong wine mouth with the red wines. <laughs> for the sake of your editing, I feel like we should like wind down because we're going to talk about chapstick for the next 45 minutes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. I guess we should. Oh, we we should announce that we're oh, yeah. changing up our our style. We are. So um, our busy lives are too busy. Um, and this usually takes us quite a long time. So to in order to torture Kathleen and take less time to record and more time to edit, um, yes. <laughs> we're breaking ourselves up into two beautiful episodes each yes. month. Yes. So you will be getting two episodes per month instead of just one. So you'll be getting one episode in the first part of the month and one episode in the latter half of the month. And we will, uh, instead of doing both of our segments in one episode, I will be doing one of them and Christian will be doing one of them. So you will no longer get to hear the beautiful 15 second transition music between our segments. Uh, (laughs) Instead, you'll get to hear a full hour of sass from one of us. Exactly. Exactly. And hopefully this will be this will be fun because this will give our listeners more content throughout the month. Mm-hmm. Um, more obnoxiousness. Mm, it'll be great. It'll be great. More more drunken literary nonsense from both of us. Yeah. I think that our first episode should just be drawn from a hat. You know, the first I'm down for it. <laughs> you know, I'm down. I love Actually, it. We should let our listeners, I know nobody ever responds to our social media stuff, but we should let our listeners suggest the next uh, two pieces that we cover, two yes. pieces of literature. So suggest two, like all, all kinds of pieces of literature for us to draw out of a hat 
we will draw them and we will cover those in January. I think that sounds wonderful. Yeah. And if you don't send them in, we'll have to just like do it ourselves. Yeah. And that's not as much fun. Yes. You can do that (laughs) on our social media, which is two English majors walk into a bar on Instagram. And remember on Facebook, it's numerical two. Yes. The number two. So instead of T-W-O, because we know how to spell because we're English majors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. JK, no English majors know how to spell. We use um, yep. autocorrect and Grammarly. Oh my God, Christian. What if it was, um, what if it was like the, like the, o- what is it? The OED or like the phonetic alphabet for like two. What if we used that? <laughs> Where it's like forward slash T forward slash umlaut. <laughs> We didn't think about this. We could have gone ahead and, you know, thought about being yes. clever like that. We're not that smart. We're not that we are smart. English majors. <laughs> <laughs> we have useless degrees. What do you expect mm-hmm, from us? Mm-hmm. All right, everybody. We love you. Thank you for listening. We can't wait to see you two times in January instead of just one. Yay. Yay. I'm Kathleen Brumbach on all social media. And I'm Christian Lutz. Yay. English Majors Walk Into a Bar is produced by Kathleen Brumbach and Christian Lutz. Cover art by Bobby Lutz and sound design by Matt Fletcher.